Welcome to Faked, an original podcast highlighting the underground world of counterfeit illegal items around the world and how to spot them. Whether you're traveling the world or buying online, Faked will be your guide. With your host, Joseph Rowan, you'll explore the many ways counterfeiters can pull off disguising everyday consumer items as the genuine good. Welcome back to Faked, guys. We're going to be doing another famous cons in history. And behind every scam, because we talk about scams on here, we talk about cons, we talk about counterfeit items and such like that. Behind every good scam, there's a conner. And no, I'm not referring to somebody named Connor, although I'm sure there are some conners that have also perpetrated scams. But we're talking about a specific guy named Victor Lustig. And I figured this was a perfect episode to follow up our scams in paris episode so if you haven't checked that out that's another good one too if you plan on visiting we're gonna we talked all about the scams in paris the most common ones that you're gonna get hit with the second you you know drop ship down in paris so let's let's first of all let's talk about some facts about the eiffel tower before we get into what what the heck victor lustig was doing so who built the Eiffel Tower? So the Eiffel Tower was built from 1887 to 1889. So surprisingly, this only took two years. Uh, it was by a French engineer, Gustave Eiffel. Uh, probably Eiffel is probably how you would pronounce that. When I looked at it, it looked <laughs> Eiffel, um, which is probably not a really good last name if you were building a tower because you wouldn't want Eiffel. Yeah, I actually just realized that, uh, yeah, that sounds a lot like I fell off the tower. Eiffel. Interest. Okay. Well, anyways, sorry, a little side rant. Whose company specialized in building metal frameworks and structures? So Gustave is um, at the origin of many metallic works in Europe, including the Porto Viaduct, which is in Portugal, and then the Viaduct du uh, Garabit, which was in France, and the Budapest train station in Hungary. So this guy absolutely got around. So uh, his company that was located in uh, Perret, which was very near uh, Levallois, Levallois, Perret. Yeah, that's probably what it is. Uh, very near Paris, France, also built the metal framework for another world-famous monument, which was the Statue of Liberty, which we now know is in New York, United States. So designed by Auguste Bartholdi and offered to the United States as a gift from, the Fran- or from France to celebrate the 100th anniversary of the American Declaration of Independence in 1886. So... What kind of metal is the Eiffel Tower made of? The Eiffel Tower is made of iron and not steel. So the puddle iron that makes up the Eiffel Tower structure came from Pompeii Forges, which is east of France. Uh, The iron plates and beams produced through the puddling process were then preassembled in the Eiffel factories in, you know, the hometown uh, using rivets. So... Finally, those pieces were taken to the Eiffel Tower uh, construction site to be mounted. The prefab system is what allowed to build the Eiffel Tower for a record time of two years, two months, and five days. I thought that seemed pretty record-breaking because that's that's tremendous. I mean, that is a huge, huge, huge thing. We just got back from there, and I saw, I witnessed some lady get like vertigo looking up at it from underneath. It's so textured, and yeah, it's really hard to lock in on. It's just so big. Okay, so we're gonna we're gonna pass by 
some of the other ones. I just want to um, I want to look at some of the other reasons we're going to be studying this. So, why was the Eiffel Tower built? That's an important question. The Eiffel Tower was built to be one of the main attractions at the Paris World's Fair in 1889. So that year, the World's Fair covered uh, the entire Champs de Mars in Paris, and its focus was the vast constructions of iron and steel that were the great industrial advancement of the time. So the first uh, first called the 300-meter tower, uh, it soon took the name of the man who built it, which we just talked about was Gustave. So the tower opened to the public the same day as the World's Fair. So just imagine walking there and seeing this undoubtedly largest structure in the world at the time uh, that was kind of just billowing over everything else. Absolutely insane. Uh, when you look at the old, and you can look this up, look at the general view of the World's Fair in Paris at uh, 1889, and it is just absolutely incredible how big this thing is uh, compared to everything else. So definitely check that out. Um, let's move on. What are some, um, let's see. So is the Eiffel Tower the symbol of France? So its height and unique silhouette floating above the Paris landscape scape quickly made the Eiffel Tower one of the most popular attractions in Paris. And the tower's destiny um, is closely linked to that of the city of Paris, the the um, capital of France and the Eiffel Tower's owner. So since the beginning, the Eiffel Tower drew attention and served as the theater for numerous events in Let's see, the life of Paris and France. So the grandiose fireworks of July 14th, which we know is Bastille Day, national-level events and large-scale sporting events, which I think they're going to be getting another, what is the Olympics coming to Paris? That's going to be insane. That's And I know they're already readying the helm there. We were talking about it, uh, which will hold, present a whole new thing of scams as well, which we'll be able to talk about as scams at the Olympics because uh, there's definitely a takeover of these cities. Um, okay, so why is the Eiffel Tower shaped like the A letter? That's apparently a question a lot of people have. So, so look at back in its historically uh, or its historic contest. Okay, it was two engineers who worked in the company in uh, Eiffel's company who imagined the building in 1884, kind of a metal metal tower, 300 meters high for the 1889 World's Fair. So these engineers were specialists in large scale metallic structures like bridges railway stations, viaducts, etc. So it was only natural the first sketch of the 300-meter tower issued from the calculations made by the two engineers show a pylon with four legs, each made of four robust beams linked together by an open web joist that rise diagonally to meet at the summit. So you can see that, you know, it's kind of like a bridge, except it has a tower on top of what would be a bridge structure. Um... Okay, somebody asked, is it illegal to take pictures of the Eiffel Tower at night? Interesting. So there is nothing that says you can't take photos of the Eiffel Tower at night, because I definitely have some. Private individuals are free to take in pictures of the Eiffel Tower at night for private use or to share on social networks, for example. So the situation is different, I guess, for professionals. So the Eiffel Tower's various illuminations, so like the golden sparkles, beacons, all that kind of stuff, are actually protected by a copyright. So any nighttime pictures of the Eiffel Tower used by professionals, they need previous authorization. Mm. So you have to go to SETE, and eventually the payment of usage rights will follow that. That's interesting. I actually didn't know that. So apparently also another question was, was how many people died during the construction? And that would be a big fat zero. That's kind of surprising too for how big it is, how tall it is. 
And how many people, this is uh, the other thing that I'll talk about, um, how many people visit the Eiffel Tower every year? Um, I guess it's a little over 6 million people climb the Eiffel Tower every year. So that's not even how many people go visit it. That's just how many people climb it. So I guess one more thing is we'll talk about the Eiffel Tower's weight in tons, and then we'll move over to Victor Lustig, and we'll actually talk about the con. So the Eiffel Tower weighs about 10,100 tons. Wow. While the paint alone weighs 60, 60 tons, just the paint. That's a lot of paint, and I guess they repaint it like every seven years or something like that. So, okay. Let's talk about Victor Lustig, the guy who sold the Eiffel Tower twice. This man is a marketing genius, selling something that's not his for a lot of money and twice. So, in May 1925, an article appeared in the Paris newspaper about the decaying condition of the Eiffel Tower. So, 30-some years after it had been erected, which we just talked about. So the city's signature piece of architect was in need of extensive repair. So there was a passing comment um, in the piece about how the French government had considered that it might be cheaper to just take it down than to fix it. So most people reading the article um, would have said, c'est la vie, and moved on. So, uh, but Victor Lustig was not most people. He seems like a pretty opportunist fella. Okay. So when he read it, he heard Kaching uh, of inspiration that would become his greatest caper. So the Czech-born Lustig, he was fluent in five languages, had more than 20 aliases, and possessed an almost hypnotizing charm. That's our victor. Um, he had been swindling people out of money and property for years. He began by plying his shady trade on cruise ships full of wealthy travelers. We need a movie about this guy. This sounds awesome. So one of his favorite ruses was to pose as a producer of Broadway musicals, then prey on people's secret desires to be in show business by getting them to invest in non-existent production. So that still exists today. By 1925, Lustig had racked up over more than 40 arrests and was wanted by law enforcement agencies around the world. So let's talk about his most, his biggest con, and that's kind of what we're focusing on here is the Eiffel Tower Con. Now that we know a little bit about Lustig and his hypnotizing charm, Lustig really never went into a con without research and careful preparation. That's what made his cons so deadly. Uh, and I mean, I, I guess deadly to the people who are getting conned, but uh, very lucrative for him. So in Paris, his first move was to have a counterfeit to make him, or a counterfeiter make him official government stationery with his name listed as the Deputy uh, Director General of the Minister de Postes el Telegrafes. So he then wrote letters to the five most prominent scrap iron dealers in the city, and the letters, vague but officially sound or official-sounding, invited each of the five men to meet with Lustig in a suite of a fancy hotel to discuss an urgent matter. So he was trying to get all these people out to put a bid on this... Um, on the Eiffel Tower. So kind of in the reconstruction thing. So kind of interesting, very cool uh, start to the con. So after Lustig wined and dined his marks, he announced that the government had decided to tear down the Eiffel Tower and the resulting 7,000 tons of metal would be for sale to the highest bidder among them. So as part of his pitch, he reminded his guests that the tower was built as an entrance arch to the 1889 World's Fair and was never meant to be permanent, which was true. There's a lot of things that got torn down after that. There's only a very few that remain. So he quoted Alexander Dumas, 
who had once called the tower a loathsome, loathsome construction. So, and writer Guy de Maupassant, who said, what will be thought of the generation if we did not smash this lanky pyramid? So a lot of people were kind of against it. Um, they Maybe they saw it as an eyesore. Definitely wasn't the tourist mark that it is today. So Lustig gave an emotional performance and then in a resigned tone explained that the costs to maintain the tower were simply just too high from a government you know, perspective. So of course the government's decision to tear it down was controversial and so must remain hush hush. So the scrap dealers swallowed the story hook, line, and sinker just so they wouldn't share the information around. So a few days later, they submitted their bids, but Lustig had already chosen his mark, which was Andre Poisson. So Lustig informed Poisson that he'd won the right to the Eiffel Tower's medal, but there was a small problem. Lustig said that the, while the public servants like himself were expected to dress well and entertain lavishly, they made a meager salary. So Poisson understood that he was being asked for a bribe to secure the deal, and he obliged, of course, because he knew there was going to be a very handsome payout for all of that medal. So... Lustig, with Poisson's money in hand, fled for Austria. So there, as um, was his custom, he lived the high life at the expense of yet another unsuspecting victim. For weeks, Lustig checked the French newspaper for reports of his Eiffel Tower con, but there was nothing. He had a hunch that Poisson would just be too embarrassed by how easily he fell for the ruse to go to the authorities, and he was right. So six months later, Lustig returned to Paris and pulled the exact same stunt with five different scrap iron dealers. So amazingly, he sold the Eiffel Tower again. So this time, though, he his mark went to the police and the story hit the papers. Lustig soon fled Europe for the United States. So he dipped out of Austria, came back, pulled the con. Now he's in the United States. So in America, we're going to talk about some of his international swindling. Lustig continued his life as an elegant scoundrel. So with Cons like selling a miracle box that would supposedly print flawless counterfeit money. He also famously swindled Chicago crime boss Al Capone. Lustig got Capone to invest $50,000 in a con he was working on. So Lustig let the money sit for two months, then went back to Capone to pay his plan, or to say his plan had fallen through. Just as Capone was about to get violent, Lustig handed him $50,000. So Capone was so impressed that he gave Lustig a thousand dollar reward which was exactly what lustig anticipated so lustig was finally arrested in 1936 on a counterfeit charge and served 11 years in jail before dying behind bars in 1947 so before his death we're going to talk about something lustig wrote down um i guess he he wrote down his 10 commandments for aspiring con men so number one is be a patient listener so this is the Ten Commandments for Aspiring Con Men. Number one is be patient listener. Uh, it is this, not fast talking, that gets a con man his coops. Number two is never look bored. Always be interested. So three, wait for the other person to reveal any political opinions, then agree with them. Number four, let the other person reveal religious views, then have the same ones. Five, hint at sex talk, but don't follow it up unless the other fellow shows a strong interest number six never discuss illness unless someone uh, especially concerned is shown or some special concern is known number seven is never pry into a person's personal uh, circumstances they'll tell you all eventually and number eight never boast just let your importance be quite obvious number nine never be untidy and number 10 is never get drunk so Guys, that is the classic con in history of Victor Lustig. Hope you guys enjoyed this. It was uh, 
it's very enlightening. I love these con series. I've got a bunch more planned uh, as we sprinkle in some counterfeits, some scams, and all that stuff. So always be on the fresh lookout for something new here at Faked. Also, check out my TikTok account. It's it's really rising up, and I'm enjoying what I'm able to do with that as a visual component versus this as audio. So I'm going to keep doing both. I know people are able to listen in the car or when they're on the walk to this, but um, I know some people like to be educated in a visual aspect, so that's why I do and make sure I keep doing the, um, the TikTok stuff. So guys, that is it for this episode. I will see you guys in the next one. Bye.